Finley's Thoughts is being brought to you today via Anchor.fm. Now, if you've never heard of it, it's a really cool website. It allows you to create your own podcast, upload segments if you want to do that. You can take phone calls, get messages from people while you're doing your show. You can put your show together, edit it like I've done here on this episode, and ultimately get it out there to the major avenues, your iTunes, your Stitcher, all those other things, and all for free. It's really cool. I can't recommend it enough. It's the way I'm getting to bring you Finley's Thoughts. So, Anchor.fm. Folks, look it up. It's awesome. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 5 of Finley's Thoughts. This is your host, Finley. How are you doing? I hope you're doing pretty well. I'm uh, I'm doing all right tonight. I'm recording this the night of the 5th of April, 2018. I give you the date so that you kind of know what's going on, or at least have some uh, insight into what's happening in the world whenever I record these. And I think this comes from just my focus on watching the news, on watching analysis from other things. It just feels like the right thing to do is to kind of tell you when I do these. That doesn't mean you listen to them that day, of course, and in point of fact, this will probably be released on Friday the 6th, if I had to guess. But that's just the reason why I do that. Thought you might want to know. I um I have had an interesting couple of days. Work's been pretty busy, and it's my second to last night of working before I take a vacation for a little over a week. My wife and I are heading up to the north, uh, to Illinois and Wisconsin, to visit friends and family. And uh, this does affect the scheduling for how I'm going to record these. I may try to do little mini episodes from my phone. Anchor does have a phone app that I can use to do this, which means there won't be any music or anything like that that I can think of. But if I can put something out there, I will. Um, or it may mean that I don't have any episodes next week. I'm just not sure yet. So bear that in mind. Uh, I know there's only a couple of you that have listened to these so far, and I appreciate it. Uh, just know that that's where it's coming from if you don't see anything next week. So, a little bit of business out of the way. Let me tell you what I'm thinking about. Uh, I'm thinking I really need this vacation. The last few months, I've been working overnights, and I am looking forward to not working overnights. I did it for most of my 30s with the exception of one year. I'm turning 40 in September. I'm looking forward to it. I actually have no problem with turning 40. In fact, I am looking forward to a vacation my wife and I are planning to take uh, to go to a place I haven't been to since I was a child, Tennessee. And with this change, I decided that I did not want to spend my 40s in the dark. I made that decision a while back after I'd spent almost the entirety of my 30s. I was 29 when I started working nights, and I did not break the streak of that until my 38th birthday, the exact day, in fact. On September 7th, my birthday, last year, actually, no, that would be 2016, I switched from nights to days, and I was happy to do it. And for a year, I drove into the office saw everyone that I hadn't seen more than once a week, talked to people, did my job at my desk, 
and essentially became just a normal office worker. Now this in and of itself may not sound like a big deal to you, but it is to me because up to that point, for most of my career, I had now worked in the office of my home. To this day, in fact, that's still the truth. Most of my time that I've worked for my company has been at home. And I don't have a problem with that in theory. In practice, it gets a little lonesome. Oh, I still talk to people. I still reach out via instant messenger, and that's fine. I still see my office compatriots once a week. Um, so that's okay. It's been less often the last few months because of my foot. But now that I'm able to drive again, I can go in and see them. And so there's that. But in general, I just don't get to see people very often. And with the broken foot, it made it even worse because I wasn't able to go out in public very much. My wife would have to drive me. This is why two months ago, or yeah, two months ago, when I started being able to drive again, I was more than happy to do so. It took a while. It's something I'm still getting used to. Of course, my wife is a little nervous when I drive, only because I'm still getting used to how my foot reacts. But I'm happy to do it, which means that once this month passes, which will be the last month that I work at night, I'm going to be more than happy to go back into the office and wear pants. I know people think that people who work from home don't wear pants. Yes, we do. I'm wearing some right now. I'm going to be happy to shave once every couple of days, unlike what I do now, which is about once every couple of weeks. I'm going to be happy to sit at a desk and have people around me and be able to focus on my work and see the people that I work with and just enjoy some of the social mores that you don't get when you work from home. Case in point, they always say about 40% of the time you spend at the office is spent in social interactions with other people. I would fit, I would beg to differ. It's really closer to about 80%. That's a lot of time to spend talking to other people and dealing with other people and doing the things that you do in a work situation that help pass the time and help get you through the day besides the actual nuts and bolts of what your job is. You learn to miss that. You learn that that social interaction, it's, it's, it's key. I think this is why over the last few years I've become uh, more of a feeds watcher on Big Brother and also a little more frustrated with some of the stuff I've seen on there. I needed to see social interaction because there I was essentially seeing people just as frustrated as I am because they don't get that social interaction with the outside world. Interesting that I tie that together, but I move on. All in all, I'm ready for the change of going back to working in an office. The irony, of course, is that I'm actually trying to pursue a promotion. One that would have me working at home at night. 
but it's okay because that's a new challenge. That's the other side of this. I'm ready for the challenge of working in the office. I'm ready for the challenge of, of having to deal with other people on a regular basis again. I truly savored it for a year. And now it's been almost nine months since I worked in the office. In fact, this month is eight months. And so I want that challenge again. I want to be back in the game. And that'll be nice. And so that's the main thing of what I'm thinking now, is I'm ready to be back. We'll go ahead and go into a national topic here in just a moment. And after that, we'll talk about something else. But until then, we'll be right back with you. Now, I'm going to warn you folks, the next segment is going to have a little bit of adult language in it. I try to hold off on that, but in this case, it's part of the story and um, relevant to it. The House Russia investigation continues, and today, Corey Lewandowski was uh, subpoenaed and spoke with the House Russia investigation. And Democrats are on the board, and they asked him questions. And he made it clear he wasn't going to answer them. And they kept asking him questions. And he told them, shouting, in fact, I'm not going to answer any of your effing questions. Obviously, I've just edited that. He actually said the word, shouting it in the house. And that's his right. It actually is legitimately his right to not answer the questions. He has the right not to incriminate himself per the Fifth Amendment. And more to the point, the House can't really do that much regarding this. Robert Mueller's investigation, of course, is a different matter, and if Mueller calls him in, he can be compelled to testify. But when it came to the House, he made his opinion quite clear. Democrats on the uh, committee made their feelings known as well, apparently, although not, from what I understand, to the extent that Lewandowski did. And that's what I want to talk about. I am not a prude by any means. I have a filthy mouth at times. Goodness knows that's the case. And if you listen to me on the show that I do during the summer, yeah, my language is different. It's saltier. I admit that. On here, I'm trying to do something a bit cleaner only because it's the most direct way I have to share with you what's going on inside this noggin of mine. But I'm not a prude. Sorry, I had to get a sip of coffee there. That's going to be relevant in the third section. You'll t we'll talk about that in a minute. Because I'm not a prude, I don't mind language. I don't mind the use of foul language. And in fact, there's a study that says foul language and the use of it might in fact be the sign of a higher intelligence. And I have no problem with believing that. I do, however, have a problem with the use of such language in a testimony in the House of Representatives in the United States Congress. This is not the place to show off how much of a badass you are. This is not the place to show how little respect you have for the other party. This is a situation where you are sitting in one of the 
major bodies of one of the three branches of our government. And this is a situation where you certainly don't have to respect the people you're talking to, but you need to show at least some decorum. And this was Lewandowski's answer. I had to repeat on multiple occasions there was no collusion, cooperation, or coordination because the Democrats couldn't understand my plain English way of speaking, Lewandowski told CNN earlier today. CNN's article on this, by the way, you can find it on their website. He says that the Democrats on the committee were the first to use foul language during his testimony, and I feel, felt the need to respond in kind. Now, he also said he could not recall precisely what was said. This is an interesting article. I do recommend you take a look at it. And my thoughts on this is very simple. It's a closed session. We don't necessarily have to believe you telling us that they used foul language first. But act like you've been there. Act like you've been to the big game. This is a situation where there does need to be some decorum. And all a person does when they show off by using the kind of language that was used in the testimony today is it shows that the person using it doesn't quite get the severity of the seriousness of their situation. So I'll make it very clear for you, Corey. I know there's no way in hell you're ever going to hear this, and that's fine. This is more from my edification than yours. You are standing there or sitting there in a committee meeting of the House of Representatives. Yes, it is the quote-unquote lesser house, but it is still a place where people who are elected get the chance to talk to you and interview you. I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, Communist, Socialist, uh, recidivist, believer in plant power, believer in, you know, uh, the corporate might, what, whatever your thing is, I don't care. You are standing in the middle of one of the hallowed halls of our government. Act like it. Act like you give a damn. Because all it does is it spurs other people to say, well, if you're not going to talk to them, you're going to talk to me. And trust me, when you get in Robert Mueller's eyesights, and when you get into a place where he wants to talk to you a little bit closer, that is not a good place to be. I've heard the point made that if you're getting called by Mueller, he already knows the information. He's just making sure as to whether or not you're going to be truthful. And the bluster and braggadocio you have by telling the committee you're not going to answer their effing questions just goes to prove how much of a dumb fuck you might actually be. At least that's my thoughts on it. Like I said, folks, I'm sorry about the language, but I felt it was necessary, and I will put it explicit on this one. Um, we're going to move on to the next segment here. You're listening to Finley's Thoughts. So I'm a coffee drinker. I've been a coffee drinker for most of my 39 years on this earth, and 
As such, I do have my favorites. I'm a big community coffee fan, as an example. Starbucks is okay, but, you know, they'll do in a pinch. McDonald's coffee is, is, is nasty to me. I, I can't drink it. it. It tastes like butt, for lack of a better term. Now, mind you, it's nice, warmed-over butt. The kind of butt that you can really deal with, but it still tastes like butt. I don't even try with most of the coffees that you find at a convenience store. But I love my cup of community coffee at the beginning of my shift. And that's all the caffeine I drink. I don't really drink sodas anymore. With occasion, I'll drink one. But I rarely drink them during my uh, meal or, or anything like that because I just find I don't enjoy them quite as much. It's with that in mind that I look at the news out of California this past week that a judge ruled that Starbucks must now include a warning on their coffee cups, and this goes to other coffee manufacturers as well, that the coffee may cause cancer. Now, there's a couple things about that. Number one, the phrasing is important, may cause cancer. Number two, this is something that would affect coffee manufacturers not just in California but around the country because can't just make a label for California, it wouldn't be cost effective. So what they would do is they would change the labeling on all their products, thus making it clear to everyone that coffee may cause cancer. Now, before you dismiss that idea, bear in mind the reason why we have emission standards the way we do is because of California. Back in the 70s and 80s, California emission standards became essentially the de facto standards for the United States. Car manufacturers decided to go with the standards that California had for the rest of the country because it was cheaper that way. So it goes for coffee. And so, if this holds up, which who knows if it will, we'll, we'll find out. The story is, of course, going to play out in the courts. Then... What you'll see is a change to your coffee cups. You'll see a warning, kind of like the Surgeon General's warning that you see on cigarettes. It says, warning, this coffee may cause cancer. And I thought about this when it came out, the news of this. And the first thought I had, the knee-jerk reaction was, what in the hell? Now, I have, like I said, drank coffee since I was young. For a long time my source of caffeine was soda, but I, I, I've always drank coffee. I used to drink a cup of coffee and have a slice of toast with butter. And I would dip my toast in the coffee and I would eat it while I was drinking my coffee. And I loved that breakfast. Toast and coffee was one of my favorite breakfasts as a kid. It was simple. It was effective. It got me going for the day. Get a little carb intake, get a little coffee, the caffeine goes, the other chemicals get you really moving. Things are good. And as I got older, I started drinking more coffee, and then I stopped drinking as much. It became less efficient for me to drink coffee on a regular basis because I would brew a pot of coffee and half of it would end up going in the trash because I just didn't drink enough coffee. And I never had one of those grandma, grandpa, four-cup coffee makers, you know, quote-unquote, for whenever someone comes to visit. I never had one of those. I thought it was stupid. 
Mind you, it's not as stupid as throwing out half a pot of coffee because you just can't drink it. My father brews a pot of coffee every morning, and he drinks a good bit of it. He's not the only one, but he sits there, his little foam cup in hand. He has these little styrofoam cups that he is so used to using from his time working um, at a chemical plant. Every day, he pours his coffee, mixes in his sweet and low, adds his creamer, and he'll sit there and sip a couple cups while he reads the paper. It's his routine. It's his tradition. The man is 68 years old, going to be 69 in September, right after my birthday, in fact. And, you know, hopefully we'll uh, be celebrating it together. And that's what he does every day. He does not have cancer. He has worked in a chemical plant, certainly by all rights, exposed to things that could give him cancer. He doesn't have it. Knock on wood, he never gets it. I've drank coffee for most of my 39 years. I don't have cancer. These are, of course, not scientific ways of doing this, but I do have to question, what exactly did the judge base this on? And I've not followed that trial. I don't know exactly what happened, but I do know that I'm smelling a little BS on this one. Now, like I said, this could play out in courts for a while. I doubt the companies that manufacture coffee, the coffee makers, are going to go out there and just accept this. You know, after all, you don't want your product to be labeled as a cancer maker. And I do imagine that at some point they will come out and say, we don't believe this is right. We think that this is an incorrect judgment. It's a travesty of law. We're filing an appeal. Excuse me, an appeal, yada, yada, yada. Sorry for hiccuping there, folks. Just goes to show we don't edit this thing. We just go ahead and put it all together. Anyway, it's not done playing out. But I just have to think to myself, isn't there something that could have been a better use of this court's time? Now, I could be wrong. I could be completely wrong. I could be looking at this and not know, and tomorrow some landmark study that was uh, put out there by you know, companies that take this stuff way more seriously than I would expect, some landmark study comes out and says, hey, you know what? We did find that if you have this coffee with this water and this thing, your chances of cancer increase, you know, whatever percentage. I'm very curious to see what the percentages are on this, by the way. It's kind of like when I see people that say sweet and low causes cancer. Well, sure, if you ingest it by the gallon full and you're the size of a rat, yes, it can cause cancer. Anything can cause cancer. Genetics cause cancer. Sex can cause cancer. The food you eat can cause cancer. The water you drink can cause cancer. Yes, you can do things to prevent that. And you can do what you can to stem the odds of you getting cancer. But, in truth, it may not be necessarily effective. And warning people that there is a rare chance that they may get cancer from coffee, 
yeah, at first it kind of seems ridiculous. Because it is slightly. But I also have to look at it this way. I would hope that if there is a true legitimate chance of getting cancer for something like this, that I would at least have the knowledge of it. So while I sit here and part of me wants to make fun of this courtroom and this situation, another part of me, the worrisome part of me, sits there and looks at it and goes, okay, does it affect my willingness to drink coffee? No. No, that's not happening. I still need the caffeine. And I still like the taste of coffee. In fact, I have a K-cup brewer now. Which means I only brew one or two cups at a time. And I can live with that. In fact, I've got a cup right here. So I'm going to live with it. And I'm going to sit back. I'm going to enjoy the rest of my cup of coffee. Because i got a lot of work i got to do. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and close this episode up, folks. As always, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, next week, like I said, we'll have kind of an odd posting schedule. I know I only had two episodes this week. I might do a three-a-week, two-a-week schedule thing going forward. I kind of like the idea of that. Doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday one week, and then Tuesday, Thursday the next. We'll see how it goes. But until then, this is your host, Finley. I want to thank you for listening to my thoughts. I'm glad to get them out. You have a good one, folks.